Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking about brain tumors with Dr. Jake Huang, radiation oncologist with Willis Knighton Cancer Center. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show and as a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned all the way down before making your call. The number is 318-219-4569 and you'll see it throughout the show at the bottom of your screen. And be sure to call us to get answers to your questions about brain tumors by speaking directly with Dr. Huang. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. So let's go ahead and talk about, again, what we talked about earlier during the midday news. Um, let's explain what radiation oncology is. Radiation oncology using, uh, basically it's a specialized radiation field in radiation that we use radiation to treat tumors. Um, it can be benign tumor or malignant tumors or cancers. And um, there's also other things that we can do for radiation treating non-cancer related issues in the brain. And we can talk a little bit about that later as well. Oh yeah, definitely. And tell us a little bit, I'm fascinated by how you chose this field and particular to work on brain tumors. What was it about that? So, so, um, so I was interested in cancer uh, when I was in medical school, so I tried to explore different options. I went to look at different, as a surgeon, as a medical oncologist, and then I stumbled upon, actually I didn't know about radiation oncology, but I stumbled upon this field. And then realizing that radiation oncology actually have a very specialized doing a, um, uh, tra training in oncology and um, basically focusing on cancer care for the four, five years during their training before becoming a radiation oncologist. And then they also combined a lot of the technologies, advances, and that kind of fit to my background of engineering. So that was a good fit. That sounds fascinating to me too. When you said engineering, I can see that, how this affects with that engineering kind of mind. So tell us about um, brain tumors in particular. Are there different types? Of brain tumors? Yeah, so of course. So brain tumor, um, actually you can think of it as a couple of different categories. I think the most common ones is actually you can think of it as what we call the metastasis. This is a cancer from other places that go into the brain. For example, lung cancers, breast cancers, um, some cancers that are from other places that go to the brain, called a secondary uh, metastasis. Um, that's actually the most common brain tumors. The, the other type is we call the primary brain tumor, which is the tumor directly derived from the brain tissues, such as we call the, the, the general term is called the gliomas. Um, and those are usually malignant and infiltrative. And we can separate into higher grade or lower grades. The third categories I would say will be kind of what we call the benign tumors. Those are um, tumor keep growing, but not invasive or infiltrating. For example, such as um, meningiomas or um, pituitary adenomas, those are benign tumors that, that grow slowly but not infiltrating to other places. And I want to get to that in a minute too because it's interesting to me that we can have a benign brain tumor that you may or may not go in and take care of and get rid of. So um, tell us about first, when, when something travels to the brain, are there certain paths and certain cancers in the body that will go to the brain or is it just any cancer in the body might end up going to the brain also? Yeah, that's a good question because um, sometimes we don't know exactly um, what, how the cancer get to the brain, but there are certain cancers that, that, that we see more commonly spread to the brain. Um, lung cancer, for example, pretty common. Um, it's a common cancer, and then we see a lot of cancer, lung cancer that goes to the brains. Um, breast cancer, just for the vast majority of the, the number of breast cancer patients we have, sometimes we see uh, some breast cancer patients have kind of spread to the brains. There's other kind of cancer that go to the brain, like skin cancer, such as the melanoma, and other cancers as well. Um, generally, they, we think of it as a 
kind of like two pathways. One pathway is the, the, the cancer cell get to the bloodstreams and goes to the, to the brain called and crossing the blood-brain barriers. The other is um, cancer spread through the, through the lymphatics, going mm -hmm. to the lymph nodes and spread to places. And, but regardless, once it's spread outside the original site, it's a stage four or meta metastatic disease. And we always need to think about um, like um, controlling systemic disease while, um, but, but also that's the most important thing. But then also consider some of the local therapy because can, when cancer go to the brain, uh, they can cause a lot of symptoms and cause some local effect and cause symptoms that can be detrimental. Mm, definitely. So when we talk about primary cancer that mm -hmm. is developed from the brain tissue, that's where it starts, that's where it is. Mm -hmm. Do you, are there certain causes? Do we know what causes certain brain tumors to yeah, develop there? Yeah, uh, we get that question a lot. And yeah. uh, it's interesting, we, I don't think we, we have a clear, um, um, really a cause for the brain tumors. Um, and, and, and the other interesting thing, like uh, comparing to other cancer going to the brain, primary brain tumor oftentimes, it doesn't spread outside the brain that often compared, to, it doesn't go the other way around. That's and why that happens, we don't know, but it's just, uh, it just uh, the natural course. Um, but, um, but, but we do know that when, when a family member has certain brain tumors, then and other family members may have increased risk of brain tumors, oh. although it's not the one-to-one -one correlation, but we, we think of it as a risk factor that, that taking into consideration, especially if that multiple family member have the similar type of tumors, then definitely we, can, we should um, talk into the genetic counseling and do some screening and sometimes analyzing the tumors and kind of see if certain mutations that, that can kind of like uh, increase the awareness of, the, of screening down the road. So not necessarily hereditary, but mm -hmm. risk factors to pay yeah. attention to. Yeah. Do you see that in your practice? Do you see many family, family members also having brain tumors? Um, not, not, not direct correlation, but, um, but it's, it's not uncommon that, that we see a family member and an additional member have, have mm -hmm. if you add additional history, you find, oh, uh, 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 uncle or family or grandparents has certain kind of uh, the tumor to start with. Yeah. So do you see it more um, generational rather than brother, sister? It can be generally, it could be both. Either, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. just, yeah. it's gotta be very interesting yeah. to you yeah. too to do that research. Right, and, and there's also certain certain mutations that we know and, and that, that can cause additional tumors. And but usually if it's a hereditary certain type of mutation type of tumors, the tumor usually develop earlier in the years, mm -hmm. right? So, so if I, I see pediatric case, um, patients as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, brain tumor is one of the common pediatric cancers. And that's, that's quite uh, devastating for a lot of families. Um, usually when the, for kids compared to adults, or, or, um, brain tumors are usually more, more genetics or, or gene related. Um, and then we, we can find out superior mutations from there. And if you have a young family member have mutations, then we definitely need to screen additional family members. That's got to be devastating yeah. when you see that too. Yeah. And so let's talk about benign mm -hmm. brain tumors. So it's interesting. So you may have one that's definitely not infiltrating the brain. It's just there maybe on the brain. Mm -hmm. um, and there's times where I hear that I've got a, they've got a brain tumor where we're just going to leave it where it is. They're slow growing or it might be too dangerous to go and operate. Mm -hmm. Is there, how do you, like with other tumors in the body, it could be with a needle biopsy or go in. How do you decide if something's benign or malignant in the brain? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, so, 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 
there are certain characteristics we can find on the imaging that's, uh, that's suggesting whether these are more benign or malignant. These days, there's also advanced um, imaging techniques. For example, some of the ad additional, we call the advanced brain tumor imaging, such as uh, spectroscopy or the perfusion scans, that can further characterizing the tumors. And that can give us a kind of a clue whether these are more aggressive versus more benign. And, um, and, and, and there are certain tumors that that they has such a characteristic on the MRI, we can almost think like 90% that is less that diagnosis. Although of course, I always tell the patients now 100% that certain, in order to confirm that we always still need a tissue diagnosis, which is in involving a biopsy. So, so when, when sometimes when um, for benign tumors, oftentimes you is found incidentally. Um, say meningioma, if you scan a thousand patients, you probably will pick up a couple of patients that, that with a meningioma benign brain tumors that's, um, that's not causing symptoms, just, just pick up incidentally. In those cases, we sometimes say, okay, it looks characteristic, looks like meningioma as the, on the imaging. We should repeat a scan in three to six months just to make sure that it doesn't grow fast, right? And then if, it, if, if we establish how fast it's growing or how fast it's not growing, then we kind of like know it's benign or malignant from there. Um, because Getting a tissue or going a procedure, invasive procedure, has its own risk, right? So we really need to balance the risks and benefits, whether, whether this is worth um, taking the risks and benefits of doing it or not. But I, I think these should be a discussion that you, you should have with, the, with your doctors. And oftentimes, this involves the neurosurgeons um, that, that, that uh, can give you a good kind of risk assessments. Um, there is also depends on the location of the tumor. Some locations are a little bit tricky, um, that, that involving a lot of critical structures. When you go in a needle or you open it up, it has a lot of it's, it's risk of damaging surrounding tissues. And if, if it looks like a small lesion not causing, tumor, not causing issues, slow growing, sometimes we can watch it. But the caveat is that I think it's important to, to establish how fast, uh, what the kinetics we call, and before we make the final recommendations. It's incredible. I, I've heard stories, and, and so I'm glad you're here so I can ask you this. I always have a Terry question. So I have heard benign tumors that sometimes you'll find something that someone has made, they're so slow growing mm -hmm. that they've had it almost their whole life mm -hmm. and they don't even know. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. Yeah, so some of the benign tumor, for example, like meningioma we mentioned about, the pituitary adenomas, the acoustic neuromas, those are all benign tumors that on average typically grows about maybe one millimeter per year, mm. on, on, or even even smaller. Right. So 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 um, so we we sometimes we have a patient that 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 had gotten a car accident, did brain scans, and saw there's a tumor. It was a maybe like a ten centimeter tumor there, but but it had never caused any symptoms. <laughs> patient never know about it. So we know it probably been there for a while. Hasn't been causing any problems, um, but. But sometimes, but when they get a, a big size, uh, when they get to the a big size, it sometimes can cause some mass effect. Um, and but uh, interesting in the brain is that when they grow slowly, sometimes our brain can adapt those changes. But when they grow fast, our brain usually couldn't accommodate, so we see more symptoms for the patient have a more rapid growing tumors. Our brains are so amazing, aren't they? Yes, God's yes, incredible. Yeah. So, what do you mean adapt? Will it actually make room for the tumor? Or? Uh, and, and no. So, so it's um, so our brain is designed to prevent thi things from coming in and out, right? So, so we have the the brain tissue. We have a meninges, which is a rubbery layer wrapping around it, and we have bones, like the scalp bones, that kind of encase around this. So, all these trying to prevent things from coming coming in or prevent things from going out. That also means there's not a lot of space 
So, so, so then when you have a tumor that's growing, and sometimes, depends on the location, sometimes can cause obstruction or blockage. Um, and that can increase the pressure in the brain, and that can cause symptoms. Um, so, so, so I think th not just the size, but also the location and what's surrounding it can all depend, affect how, how the patient presented in, in this. Um, and, and, the, and if it's small, of, uh, our brain can have some room to, to get used to it, and it's still growing, our, our brain can have room to get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So but if it's a faster growing tumor, then, then, then our brain doesn't have the time to get used to it, then, then the symptom, you can see the symptom much more rapidly. Right. Yeah. And is it just the pressure somewhere, or whether is there some kind of cells in our brain that are seeing, recognizing it as unfamiliar? And, and and, um, no, so, so, the, so, the, so the brain, so, so the, so the our, our brain doesn't like the pressure. So yeah. when, when when the change in pressure in the brain, then the then the then the brain may not function very well. So sometimes the so so some of the common symptoms people may have sometimes the headaches, sometimes nausea, and in some cases, if you're looking back for some of the patients, you ask a family member for the past six months, they they may notice that a family member the 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 memory is getting worse. They're they're kind of like more quiet, not talking, not not as active as before. Um, some very unspecific things, but if you're looking back, you kind of see some personality changes, some mi minor things that that that's a slow slower process that you you couldn't pick up right away. But over the course, over the couple months, you kind of see the difference. And um, and but again, these are kind of non-specific or, or we call the retrospective looking back. So it's hard to really pinpoint exactly when it happens because a lot of time the patient asks how long the, the, the tumor has been there um, without having like. In a way, I always tell the patient that because this is a one snapshot of the timeline, we don't have the image before. If we have an image before six months ago, and now we can have an image compare, we kind of see how fast the tumor is growing. But if we've never had uh, any imaging before and just have a snapshot in the timeline, it's hard to determine how long the tumor has been there. I would think that's probably pretty common because mm -hmm. not often are you going to have any images of your brain ordinarily. No. <laughs> it's not something you check on a regular basis, no, no, so there's no, no baseline. Yeah, yeah and, and, and like some other cancers that we have um, uh, screening guidelines like breast cancer, colon cancers, breast, um, like brain tumors usually we don't have a, a clear guideline what to do with a, with a screening. It, it's, it's, uh, we, don't, we don't screen for brain tumors in, in this right. case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if something how fast can a tumor grow? Because I've mm -hmm. seen the symptoms probably are gradual. Or mm -hmm. You don't all of a sudden start having all these symptoms that lead to a brain tumor. Right, yeah, so, so uh, I think if it's a malignant type, either in the metastasis or, uh, or primary brain tumors, pr malignant brain tumors, they're usually faster growing, so we can see the symptoms in, in sometime month. Um, and, but then if it's a slower growing tumor, like a, like a benign tumor we mentioned about, those could be years that, that we never know about, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also some other benign tumors that, that can secrete hormones or have functions, and those can sometimes cause additional symptoms, like the, specifically in this case, pituitary adenomas, although they're benign tumors because of their origin arise from the pituitary gland, which is the gland that making some hormones controlling the body, that can have some effect on the body, and that can be picked up by the endocrinologist or even a good, very good primary care doctors. Yeah. So are there any kind of blood tests or anything if you're getting something, uh, other tests that might lead to that? or Right now, no specific test, mm -hmm. but it's very, that's a very interesting evol evol evolution, actually. These days, there's additional molecular testing for the tumor, um, like um, tumor cell screenings. Uh, and at least right now, I don't think we have a 
uh, uh, a blood test for tumor, but I'm hoping that as the medicine advances in the next five, 10 years, we'll have something to, to be, to, 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 to um, give us a, a clue to, to a direction to, to move on to. So right now it's just imaging. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma imaging tell. is the most important thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, Besides yourself, and you talked about neurosurgeons, are mm -hmm. there other health professionals that are involved in when when that can come in and help someone who yeah. has a brain tumor? Yeah, I think that's a. That, uh, I mean, brain tumors involving a lot of different fields. So oftentimes, we um, in in our practice, we have a we, we do we have a called a um, tumor boards. Yeah. So um, so in oncology, we have a tumor board. That means that we have not we have the uh, surgeons, the radiation oncologist. The chemotherapy doctor, which is a medical oncologist, pathologist, radiologist, and those, um, and then other people that are like involving the care to helping the patients, um, and uh, and sometimes depends on the. Um, the after the surgery, there uh, it depends on how they're affecting the, the patients. We may need some physical therapies. We may need, need some like occupational therapies to, for the rehab, and those are all involved to helping the tumor patients, yeah, brain tumor patients. Yeah, speech therapy. Yes, I'm speech sure, depending yeah. on what area mm -hmm. of the yeah, brain. Exactly. Is there any one area that tumors show up more than others? Um, not not specifically. Yeah, I think it depends on the. So so there there are. So, so brain is actually very interesting because brain, there's brain basically controlling who we are in a way, right? Yeah. Um, and there's different parts of brain controlling different parts of the functions. Some control the, the, the motor, the how we move our muscles. Some, some controls how we feel the, the surroundings. Some are like how we process the information and some are our emotions, right? So all these are different parts of brain can have different parts of functions. And oftentimes it's not just one part being affected and um, uh, depends on where it's affected and how it's affected, and the patient can be presented with different symptoms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but and no specific area has has uh, prone to certain certain tumors or mm -hmm. not. Yeah. Is there which area of the brain is it more um, risky? Is there one area that's more risky to to operate on? That is there any uh, one part that affects more? I know they all uh, affect different parts. Yeah. Of so our so I think we we can think of it as a different approaches, right? So some some. Some areas are more high risk for surgeon to get into. For example, some of the areas are um, in a dedicated area, have a lot of um, structures around it, including um, like uh, nerves, um, optic nerves, for example, brain stems, and those areas that, or, or some area has a tighter space, right? All th those areas have a, uh, have a, or deeper in the tu in the brain, they have to go through uh, tissues to get to the location. Mm -hmm. Those are a little bit more tricky to get to, and has higher risk to for the surgeons to to get into. But um, compared to other areas that that kind of like on the s on the surface of the brain, that's when you open the skull up, you see the tumor right away. That that area is easy accessible, right? And there's also area affecting the functions, right? For example, if the tumor is involving in the in the controlling our our arm, for example, if you need to remove that tumor, you have you sometimes ha may damage the surrounding tissues that in that controlling that functions. So those are the things involving the surgical risk. But in a way, I think uh, radiation in a way is a can complement that because radiation is non-invasive. So for us, it's easier to uh, less of a risk. Or it's still a risk, but then the risk may be lower when the tumor when treating with radiation when the tumor is deeper and harder to get from the from the surgeries. So so that's the important part in the tumor boards. We we discuss with the surgeons and the other specialties what approach should be should be should we use to to treat these tumors, um, and and oftentimes. It's not 
one versus another, and how do we combine getting the best using the using both modality and generating the best approach? For example, if a for sometimes it's a big tumor in an area close to the critical um, organs. The surgeon knows that if you go in, can have a lot of damage in the surrounding area if he, if he has to remove all the tumors. However, he may go in to debulk a little bit, remove as much as he can, we call the maximum safe resection. But then knowing that they may have a little bit of residual tumor left behind, then we follow with the radiation. Right? It's kind of like cleaning this up area up and re making sure the residual tumor doesn't keep growing. Right? So that's a and, 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 and kind of a combined approach that may generate the best outcome instead of trying to do a heroically doing surgery to remove everything you can but cause a lot of damages. And does it ever work in the other way around? Because mm -hmm. you hear a lot of times someone will have surgery and then radiation. Yeah. Does, ra do the, does a neurosurgeon ever ask you to go in? Does radiation shrink or, mm -hmm. or maybe make it better and then surgery? Is yeah, it, so yeah. is it reverse sometimes? Yes, yes. sometimes we do the opposite. Um, um, taking like brain metastasis, for example, like the cancer coming from other places going to the brain. Traditionally, if you don't have one lesion like going into the brain while other diseases are controlling the body, we, we offer, often want to do surgeons to go in to remove that, that lesion followed by radiation afterwards. Because study shows that if you only do surgery, the, cancer the chance of cancer coming back is high. But when you add the radiation on top of the surgery, you can reduce the chance of it coming back. However, these days, we also, there's newer studies showing that there's potential another approach to do radiation before the surgery. And uh, knowing, that this sur knowing that surgery um, um, may, may, may be may, we may be able to use radiation to shrink the tumor a little bit, clear the margin for the, for the surgeon or easier, so then they can get, get remove the tumor more, um, more, 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 more entirely and more, more completely. And that's in the, which, which approach is better is actually active area of under investigation. There are studies trying to study each one of them, yeah. Yeah. And so how does it work? How do you how do you apply radiation in the brain? What's the whole process? If yeah. I come in and I have this done, what what am I going to experience? Yeah, so so maybe we can back up a little bit about looking at what there's what kind of radiation yeah. we have. Yeah. So yeah. so I think most um, there's basically a couple of different tools of of, of 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 things we can type of radiation we can we can think of. I think the most common we call the standard type of radiation we can think of it as uh, X-rays. You hear about X-ray radiation. That's the same X-rays you get from the CT scans or chest X-rays. Those those are X-rays you don't feel anything during the treatment itself. Um, we use high energy x-rays to aim the tumors. And the x-rays, basically with how, how we use is we, we try to deliver at least high dose radiation to the target where the tumor is while protecting surrounding areas. Right? And that's the, we call the x-ray radiation. Another type of radiation is something we call the proton radiation. That's the that's the using uh, that's a different type of radiation that use proton particles. And and the special thing about proton radiation is uh, is that they can deliver the radiation to the target while have no dose outside that target areas. So it's a, a, a more precise radiation, especially important when the target is close to the critical structures. Um, also important for the for the developing brain, for example, pediatric like kids um, that, that we when we require need to do radiation, those are very helpful reducing those to those areas. The other tools that we have is something called radio surgery. It's a it's not it's not knife or surgeries, but basically using X-ray radiation to deliver high-dose radiation to a very small area in a compact course. Um, generally, for the X-ray radiation, proton radiation, we talk about we need to that uh, we need to spread the radiation dose out for a, for a course of a couple of weeks, of course. But for radio surgery, we pack all the dose in one to five shots, basically limiting the dose to these areas. 
And then finally, we, there's a there's a there's a kind of a, a technique called we call brick heat therapy. Basically, we have a radioactive seed that we implant into the into the brain with a surgeon in the operation room and emit energy from uh, radiation from from the inside. And uh, and that's that have to be done in the operation room. But the good thing is that it's done together with the surgeons. And those are kind of the general category of the tools that we have in the radiation fields that that utilizing in um, to to treat the brain tumors. And and um, and as in Willis Dayton, we have all these tools that we can help to select what is the best modality to treat certain kind of scenario or situations, and then combine it to other specialties to provide care to the patients. So then back to your question <laughs> about. What is the process like? Um, most of the patient we treat is uh, radiation coming from outside. So when the patient come in, um, we, we, we of course we need to get all the information, including imaging, including diagnosis, and then we do a radiation planning sessions. The patient come in. The planning that we call the simulation sessions. The patient usually need to lay. We have a couple of scans, and then we try to make sure the patient um, think about how we need to treat the patient every day with the radiation. Um, that means that we need to think about where the target is and how the the setup can be reproducible. In the brain tumor settings, we usually make a, a customized mask, and that the mask is help the patient to stay still on the table every day. Oh. And the patient lay on the table, we put a mask on, and then um, and then we we do the radiation from there. Um, so we do the planning session first, and um, followed by. Plan, having a plan, and then use this mass every day to help the patient lay on the table and deliver the radiation. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're develop when you're delivering it with a shot, mm -hmm. are you injecting the actual tumor? How does oh, it? Oh no. Uh, so or I should say I should um, re revise that when I when I say. Um, so radiation coming from outside. Mm -hmm. So we um, radiation is not invasive. Mm -hmm. So it's, we use X-ray or the proton beam mm -hmm. or the radiation beam to to aim where the tumor is. In a way, radiation um, we need to know where the target is so we can aim it well. Um, radiation is we call the we use a. Um, uh, we call the linear. Generally, for the typical radiation, X-ray radiation, we call we use a linear accelerator, which. It's a, it's a big machine. Uh, you lay on the table, machine moves around, you give you radiation. We design the beam to aim the target. So you don't feel anything during the treatment. You lay on the table, the machine moves to where you want to deliver and, and, and deliver the beam to the, to the site. Yeah. So the radiation beam can go through the skull mm -hmm. to yes. exactly where it's supposed to go and it doesn't hurt at all. Yeah, it doesn't hurt, like yeah. It doesn't it's hurt. amazing. Yeah, oftentimes the patient will ask, well, does it <laughs> hurt? And, and then after first treatment, they often, ref that's it. And because they don't feel anything during the treatment itself, yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So are there any side effects to that? Yeah, so um, so first of all, I want to clarify that most of the tumor, mo most of the radiation course is, um, uh, most people go through the radiation without problems. Like 80, 90% of patients go through radiation without um, without problems. Some people feel a bit tired. Some people feel certain some minor issues like headaches, some nauseas, but usually those can be easily taken care of by the medications. So, um, so our job during the radiation course is actually once the patient start, we kind of check with the patient and making sure if there's minor symptoms, we can we can uh, issues we will we will need to we can help to treat. And usually, some medication can get you through the treatments if, if some of the symptoms that patient develop. 
very rarely there's some issues that develop that, that um, that's not ordinary, then we kind of see, um, we need to think about what happened. Um, and um, sometimes there's complication from other things, like including combination with the chemotherapy or after the surgeries. So, so, that, that, so, so let's say that basically that means that we need to cooperate and work with other specialties and work together taking care of our patients and monitoring things closely. Yeah. So what are some of the considerations that you, we have or a patient needs to consider or that you consider with a patient first coming to you with a, a brain tumor? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so I think we, we need to start with the, the so first of all, we, let's start with the patients, what symptoms the patient have, mm -hmm. and what do we, we need to take care of the symptoms first, because if the patient had headaches, have nausea from the tumors, then we want to t take care of less symptoms so the patient can feel better, right? And then once the patient feel better, we can think about how to treat the disease, um, or how to, or we need to diagnose what it is and determine how to treat the disease. So oftentimes when the patient comes with the symptoms, we worry about the tumor, we do the scans, and then we, we have a tissue diagnosis, and then we work with the team that I mentioned about to discuss how is the best approach to, to treat the tum tumors. As I said, oftentimes it depends on diagnosis. We need to de determine what, what approach to do. Sometimes one modality go first versus the other in the oral combinations. Do you ever have someone with a benign tumor who wants it out? Yes. Just because it makes them very nervous, yeah. and yeah. and is it up to the patient? When yes, you, yeah. yeah. So, um, so oftentimes there's I, we present the patient options, right? And the patient have um, and 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 benign tumor usually the first first round of surgery, and then they do surgery. But then we 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 if, but sometimes the patient is not a surgical candidate. For example, couldn't had a stroke, heart attack, risk of, of uh, complication is high going through the operation room, then we can talk about during the radiation. And again, this is a, this is a, um, oftentimes we can have a combina discussion with the surgeons and the, and the patients and, the, and the, all the teams to discuss which is the best approach. And patient preference is definitely one of the, is something to consider in, in to making the decision in this process as well. A lot of options, yes. a lot of treatments, yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Really interesting. So would you like to give the phone number? Do you have that, the number to your office or let people yeah. know how to reach you if they'd like to? Yeah, so if um, anyone has any questions about brain tumor, feel free to call our, our clinic. Our number is 318-212-4639. Uh, okay, and it's Willis-Dyton Cancer Center. Yes. And um, well, thank you so much. This has been so informative, so interesting to talk about brain tumors and symptoms, and we really appreciate your time here. It's been a pleasure meeting you. Thank you very much. Okay. And everyone, thank you so much for joining us at Healthline 3. We enjoy you being here. We have, love informing you, and thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time on Healthline 3.